All right, we're rolling. Okay, I'm, I'm going to let you in on a little secret, okay? Uh, and, I, and I want you to know that I could get in some serious trouble for letting you in on this secret and divulging the information that I'm about to divulge to you. But I'm going to tell you for the sake of the illustration, to illustrate a point as always, that's why I share these things with you. So, but if we could just keep this information between us, that'd be really helpful. Okay, let's not let this get out because again, it's a, it's a big secret. Um, uh, I'm giving away one of the greatest secrets of the universe that I only recently discovered actually works. All right. How many of you have ever been a part of a conversation that went something like this? Where would you like to go eat? I don't know. Where would you like to go eat? Oh, I picked last time where we went to eat. No, I picked last time. Remember, it's your turn to pick. How many of you have been in a similar conversation? Have you had these? I, I suspect it's more of you than are actually raising your hand. Yes, I know. I see that hand. Uh, have you ever been uh, uh, in, in something like, well, well, how do we resolve this? Well, if you're like my wife and me, you'll, you'll go around and around with this, this conversation forever. We've actually done this before where we, we start to have this conversation of where we're going to go eat. We'll, we'll head to the car and that conversation will continue once we're in the car and that conversation will still continue as I'm pulling out of the driveway. And now I'm actually on the street, not knowing where I'm going, but we're still saying, you know, where, where do you want to go eat? I'm driving somewhere, right? But I don't know where yet. Uh, that happens all the time. Um, and so finally, some of us, when someone says, let's just go to, you fill in the blank, right? I've, I've learned, I've learned now how to resolve this conversation almost immediately. And this is going to come as a surprise to my wife because she didn't even know I was going to say all this but I broke the code. I broke the code. I tried it last week and then again this week and it worked flawlessly, all right? You see, I usually work from home on Fridays. I work from home on Fridays and my wife and I have decided that Friday mornings will be a date for us. Uh, we'll, we'll take our kids to school and then the two of us will go out to, to breakfast together. And, and this has become our custom and, and it's wonderful. However, more and more we're having to go with a round and round conversation of, well, where do you want to go eat this morning? Or where do you want to go eat this morning? I picked last week. No, you picked last week. Yet. So I've discovered that when she says, sometimes she'll say it like this, where are you taking me to breakfast? And if I reply with this, I'll say, yes, I've picked a place. I'll give you one guess. Can you guess what it is? And whatever she guesses is where we're going. <laughs> Cracker Barrel, good guess. That was it. Let's go. Done. It's done. Now, I realize my wife is here and that's it. I've, that's why I say my, the gig is up, but I've tried it. Two, it was two for two. So let's again, let's keep this, this uh uh, the seat just between us, okay? But there's something important I want you to get out of this story. There's something other than, than cracking the code to one of the more vexing conversations between two humans. <laughs> Down there, enough, let's keep it quiet, all right? <laughs> game on, <laughs> so she's got my game. I gave up my gig right here. Oh, someone, hold on, wants to be admitted. Here we go. But anyway, there's, uh, there's something I want you to get out of this, uh, this conversation other than, you know, understanding how to resolve this. Uh, because... I, there's something beautiful about it because at the root of it, when my wife and I start asking these questions, like, where do you want to go? Where do you want to go? The reality is we, we just want each other to be happy. I just want you to be happy. And, and if you're happy, I'm happy, you know? And, uh, and let me tell you, that in and of itself is one of the great secrets of the universe. I'm, I'm going to live my life for someone else, not me. I'm going to live my life for someone else. I mean, if you can understand that, your life will be better. In fact, that serves as the basis of our, our one thing topic today. So we're in this, this topic that we're, we're, uh, we've entitled One Thing. 
And it's our objective to take one simple question and I will provide you hopefully with one simple answer. And some of you are hip to my game here. Many of these things, these one thing topics come right out of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Uh, and uh, because again, they already asked these one thing questions hundreds of years ago and, and they gave us an answer to those one simple questions and they, they gave us scripture references and everything. And, as, and look, this is even, I don't know if you've noticed this, but this is what our, our children are, are studying during children's sermons, the New City Catechism. Look, look at their question for today of what advantage to us is Christ's ascension. So if you get tired of what I'm saying up here, there's, there's some more materials for you on the side. But anyway, uh, they, they ask these simple questions, you know, complete with, with scripture citations and everything. And their purpose for creating these questions was to quiz their children. That's what these questions were for. So let's, let's ask one of our questions here. Our question for today is not, where would you like to go eat? That could be for you later on, perhaps. Our question that I mentioned to you in an email yesterday is the age old question of why am I here? Why am I here? And, and I mean that in the sense of not why am I in this room, right? Rather, why, why am I on this earth? What is my purpose for being on this earth? So that's our one simple question today. Uh, I'm going to tell you why you're on this planet. I'm going to give you that. That's a simple question. How about that? And what, what is a, this is how the Westminster Shorter Catechism phrased it. What is the chief end of man? I bet many of you already know the answer to this because maybe you've studied these questions before. Do you know the answer to this? What's the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, okay? Now, that's our answer. That, that's why you're on this earth. That is why you're on this earth, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now, of course, like we've done, if we want to pick apart some of these answers a little bit, the first thing our answer reveals to us, as my opening illustration uh, about asking one another, where do you want to go eat, right, suggested, living, living your life for someone else other than yourself is one of the great lessons of life. It's one of the great lessons of life. Before sin entered the world, before sin entered the world, God created man in his image. And man, as originally created, was a true image of God. Okay, therefore he was God-centered, not self-centered. Before sin entered the world, his central thoughts and desires were to serve God and delight in him. However, instead of thinking how great and wonderful God is, right, what happened? He began to think how great and wonderful he is, how Adam is. All right. How can I, how can I enjoy, how can I enjoy myself? How can I enjoy my own interests and purposes? That's where his mind went, right? And this is when things went off the rails. I remember when my kids were really young, we used to read a book to them uh, and it was called The Minosaur. Does anyone know this book? Has anyone heard of this book, The Minosaur? Do y'all know this book? Have you ever heard of it? The Minosaur. Winston, do you know The Minosaur? Have you ever heard that book? It's a good one. I'll have to get you a copy of it. It's really good. Uh, but anyway, anything, it was called the Minosaur, and it was about a selfish dinosaur. Anything and everything he could get his, his short little dinosaur hands on, he would claim as mine, all right? He would claim as mine. And if any of the dinosaurs came up to him wanting to share toys with him, he would cry, no, mine, 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 right? And so he was a Minosaur, you see? See how that works? Well, after a long while of saying mine, 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 and claiming everything for himself, he discovered that he was quite the lonely beast, no one wanted to play with him because he was so selfish. It wasn't until he loosened all his grip on all of his toys and started sharing that he realized, hey, if I share, I have more friends, right? If I don't live for myself, if I live for someone else other than myself, my life is better. And, and what a great little lesson that is for, for kids. And I can't tell you how many times, we probably read that book hundreds of times to our kids. And let me tell you, as a result, my kids now are never selfish. They are the most sharing individuals you've ever met. They, they share everything with each other. 
I'm glad you laughed at that and you saw the, the irony there. But, but here's something important that you have to understand. We won't realize this. We won't realize this by reading the Minosaur and walking determined to share, okay? The Catechism is certainly asking us to live for someone other than ourselves, right? But look, look how quickly we can get into, into trouble with this. If we only generally live for other people and not specifically for God, okay? If we divide, if we divide the world into two groups, those who share and those who do not share, you know, what we discover, is it possible? Is it possible to be a person who shares, a person who lives their life for someone else other than themselves? Is it possible to be that kind of person and not glorify God? Let me, let me ask it in even more simple terms than that. Is it possible to be a non-Christian and live a life that is not centered around self? Is it possible to be a, a non-Christian and not live a life that's centered around self? What do you think? You don't have to give me a full-on answer, but do you think yes, no? Any, you think it's possible? Anyone think it's impossible? Okay, just one. You think it's possible. I, impossible or impossible? Okay. I think, I think it's possible for a non-believer, for a non-believer to do things and to live a life that seems to not be self-centered. For instance, there are plenty of people who are not Christian uh, and who are pursuing, say, a cure for cancer, right? There are plenty of doctors and nurses who, who wouldn't testify or identify to being a Christian, yet they're doing good in the world, right? There are plenty of people who live by a creed that says something along the lines of the greatest good for the greatest number of people. And that in and of itself, that seems good, right? Doesn't that seem good? But let me ask you this, does that creed, does that creed, the greatest good for the greatest number of people, is that man-centered or God-centered? The greatest good for the greatest number of people, is that man-centered or God-centered? It's man-centered. It's still man-centered. You see, if I live by a creed that is man-centered and I am a man, whose good am I seeking ultimately? Still seeking my own. Still seeking my own. Let me show you what, what 1 Corinthians 10.31 says. It says this, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. You see, the word of God is calling us to do something God-centered, not man-centered. Whatever you do, everything you do, do it for the glory of God, not man. You know, this, this is what you're called to do. But, but now let's answer this question. Let's answer this question. Does, what does it mean exactly to glorify God? Who wants to give me an answer for, for what, what a definition of to glorify God? If I ask you to leave here today, and, and, and when you leave here, I want you to go glorify God. What is it, what is it that I'm asking you to do? How, how does one glorify God? What are you going to do to glorify God? What does that mean? Give him credit. That sounds like a personal testimony there. Is that? <laughs> okay. She said, give God the credit for something like, for example, if your hand gets well really quickly, uh, for a, perhaps a burn that was uh, recently suffered by no one in particular, right? Okay. <laughs> Giving God the credit. Okay. Anyone else? What does it mean to glorify God? Represent him well. Very well said. Anyone else? Any other ideas? What does it mean to glorify God? Seek his purposes above your own. You're getting into the catechism here. Yes. Give testimony to what he's done. All right. I, I love these answers. These are all good answers. These are all right answers, okay? But generally, generally what we do, uh, we tend to think 
of, of glorifying God, and I'm not saying any of these were that case, but we tend to think when we glorify God, we, we somehow add something to God. When you first learn about glorifying God or praising him, when you go into the church and, and, and lift up praises to him, you're, you feel like I'm glorifying God, I'm giving something to God. It's kind of the, the initial thought that you have. And that's not quite it. That's not quite it. We, we can't add something to God. We can't add something to God. If I heap praise and praise and praise and praise unto God, have I somehow made God any better by doing that? No, I have not. Okay? God has been glorious from all eternity, and, and nothing can make him more glorious than he already is. Okay? So what are we doing when we glorify God? How do we glorify God? Here's another little anecdote here. The, the house that my family and I lived in. What does it mean to glorify God? The, the house that my family and I lived in when I was in high school, we had a creek that ran through the backyard. And uh, when we got heavy rains, that creek, like probably some of you are very familiar with in recent rains and, and uh, heavy storms that we've had lately, that creek would rise, okay? Whenever we had heavy rains, the creek would rise like all creeks do. And it would eventually rise high enough that it would start to fill the backyard. And the way our house was situated, the front was one story and out back was two stories. So it was kind of on a, on a crest. Uh, and there was one heavy rain, the heaviest that I can remember for many, the many years that we lived there, that caused the creek to breach the bank, and it started filling up the backyard. And the backyard st started filling, and it was getting closer and closer to the back door. And, and at the time, both my parents were at work, and my brother and I, we were at home uh, by ourselves, okay? We kept watching the water get closer and closer to the house. It had never come as far as the house before. It had filled up the backyard, but never had come all the way to the back door. But we were starting to think that maybe this was the time it would because the rains were just not letting up. And as the water got closer and closer to the back of the house, my brother and I started to ask ourselves, what, what should we do? What do we do? Well, we got busy. My brother and I got busy. If the water was going to come into the house, we figured we had better protect as much inside of the house as we could. Okay, so we, we got the couch and we lifted up the couch and put metal chairs underneath it. All right, so it was hovering above the ground. We rolled up the carpet and took it upstairs. And we started doing everything, anything that we could think of to get up off the ground, we got up off the ground, you know, because we thought if water's coming in, let's get everything that, that we could possibly can. And then it didn't, it didn't stop there. As the water kept getting closer, it finally got to the, the, uh, the, the, the threshold. And so we said, get the duct tape. And we literally duct taped the door shut. You know, so if anything was seeping, it's got to get by the duct tape, right? And then that was still, still we had one more line of defense. We thought as the water starts seeping in, go get the wet dry vac. And literally started vacuuming up water as it was starting to seep through the doors. And of course, we couldn't keep this up forever, but it was a little past five o'clock. My parents finally made it home. And the way that they could approach our house, they could approach from the backside and drive and see when they looked, they saw, oh my word, the backyard is completely full. And that the, at the time, the, the water was about a foot up on the door, on the back door. So it had come all the way that far. And so I guess by the time they, they pulled in the house, they came in the garage and then came downstairs, resigned to the fact that when they entered the house and made their way down the stairs, they were going to find a lower level full of water. But instead, what did they find? They found two teenage boys fighting for the home, right? Right? Yeah. <laughs> a finger in the dike, right? Eventually the rain settled down, right? And the water subsided. And thanks to the quick actions of my brother and me, we, we really didn't sustain much damage. And later on, everything had settled down. And my dad told my brother and me, I have never been more proud of you than I am right now. Why, why was my father so proud? Why was he so pleased with us? Was he pleased with us because we were heaping praises upon him? Because we were telling him how great he is. And therefore he replied back to us, I'm proud of you for saying those things. Is that what it was? He was pleased because here were these two boys who otherwise 
our, our teenagers and are generally consumers, right, <laughs> tend to get more than they give, we, they came home and, uh, and here we are not acting like typical teenagers, but what? Acting not just like adults, but we were acting in a manner consistent with how he would have acted, okay? If he were alone, if he were home alone and the rain started to come down, he would have been doing everything that he could have done to try and prevent the water from coming in and protect the home. He would have been fighting off the waters. What he saw was a reflection in his two boys of how he would have behaved under similar circumstances, okay? And no one had to tell us to do it. We just did it, right? Let's, let's look at Psalm 19.1. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. What, what this is telling us is that the creation itself, the creation itself is something like a mirror. If you look into that mirror, you can see the glory of God. Think about it this way. The chief end of creation, the chief end of creation is to declare the glory of God, all right? To put the glory of God on display. In the same way, this is how we glorify God. Not simply by heaping praises upon him, but we reflect his nature. We reflect his character back to him. And in that, God is glorified. Jesus Christ was the perfect man. Not only do the things that he, not only did he do the things that, not only did he not, so what we talked about last time, not only did he not do the things that he wasn't supposed to do, but he also actively did the things that he was supposed to do. He was actively righteous too, all right? He, he was sinless and, and, and actively righteous, and he was the perfect man and did all the things that we couldn't and didn't do. And then in his high priestly prayer in the book of John, he, he prayed this, but, but I'm going to show you the second half of what he prayed first in this one particular verse. This is John 17, 4. Having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. This is like Jeopardy, right? I'll give you the answer before I give you the question. The second half is that having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. What's the first half? What's, what's the sum total of accomplishing the work that was given to Jesus? What's the sum total of that? I glorified you on earth. I glorified you on earth. He brought glory. He brought glory to God by doing the things that the Trinity sent out to do before, before the foundations of the earth. He did all the things that are, it's like, he's, it's like he's saying, I did all the things that are reflected of, of you and your character. I was righteous. I was sinless. Just as you are righteous and just as you are sinless. And in that, I have glorified you. See that? So, so that's the first half of our, our answer. Let, let's put the question back up here. What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and, and enjoy him forever. Man's chief end is to reflect the character of God back to him. That's our, our primary and really our only responsibility, to be reflections of him and his holy character. Now, 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 having said that, let me, let me see if I can ask you a bit of a trick question here. I'm telling you in the front end, it's a trick question. Is this answer man's chief end? It's to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Is that a statement for Christians only? Or is that a statement for non-Christians too? Is the chief end of every man and woman to glorify God and enjoy him forever? Or is this just the chief end of, of the Christian man and woman? All right? It's a hard question. It's a hard question. And I don't mean that it's a complex answer. It's really not a complex answer. I mean more it's an answer that that might want to make us bristle a little bit. It's an uncomfortable answer. Because here's the reality. Remember what we said, when we glorify God, we're not adding anything to him, okay? 
He's already at, at maximum glorification, if I could say that. We can't add to his glory. Meaning, meaning he, God will be glorified whether we intend to glorify him or not. Okay? So even if a person doesn't, doesn't want to glorify God, even if a person does not want to serve God willingly, guess what? God will be glorified anyway. Let me, let me put this verse up here for you. This is Romans 9, 21 to 23. Romans 9 is a, is a hard chapter because it, it, makes us, it makes us feel a little uncomfortable. I've literally gone through Romans 9 with, with friends before uh, to the point that it's brought them to tears because there's much to grapple with here. This is Romans 9, 21 to 23. Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? In other words, God displaying his wrath, God displaying his justice, these are reflections of his character. Let me, let me give you an example. Was God glorified in the life of Pharaoh? Yes, he was. Yes, he was. Pharaoh didn't want to glorify God. Pharaoh did not want to serve God, but guess what? God was glorified through Pharaoh anyway. Pharaoh's chief end was to glorify God. That's why he was put on this, this earth. Okay, so what does that mean? Does that mean God designed Pharaoh to be one of these vessels of destruction that Romans 9 is talking about? Now that's a hard question. And without transitioning into a full-on lecture on on election, let, let me just answer it this way. Pharaoh did what came naturally to Pharaoh. God did not coerce Pharaoh in any way, shape, or form. In fact, if you read the account of Moses' interactions with Pharaoh, you'll see that just just before we read about God hardening Pharaoh's heart, we we see that Pharaoh hardened his own heart, right? Just like me, just like me. But the question then becomes not why did God save me and not Pharaoh, but why does God save anyone at all? That's the real question. But irrespective, irrespective of, of our salvific states, our chief end remains the same. We will glorify God. Another good example, the events of the crucifixion. We can make the argument that, that God was, was most glorified through the sufferings of Christ. God was most glorified through the sufferings of Christ. In order for Christ to suffer, you had numerous people who had to willingly participate in this event, people who were dead set against God, people who were not trying or looking to serve God. But in spite of that, what happened? God was glorified, okay? Now, we should also make the distinction here. God is going to be glorified in our lives either way, but, but once we're saved, once we are saved, once God removes the blinders from our eyes, as it were, now, now we're creatures of volition that have the ability to center our lives around God. And when we do that, well, now, now we get into the second half of our answer, right? What is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And enjoy him forever. Okay, now let me ask you this question. Do you think Pharaoh enjoyed God No, he did not. No, he did not. I do not believe Pharaoh enjoyed God. So a moment ago, when I asked you, does this answer apply to the believer and the non-believer? Like it was a bit of a trick question. Because yes, the believer and non-believer ultimately glorify God. 
However, unlike the believer, the non-believer will not enjoy him forever. Okay, so Pharaoh did not enjoy God. Why? Because Pharaoh lived a man-centered life, okay, as opposed to a God-centered life. His life was not centered around uh, God's interests. It was centered around his own interests. And the natural byproduct of that, the natural byproduct of that, to put it mildly, is not enjoyment, okay? Remember what we, we considered when we first began. We, we, we were made in God's image, and, and man, as originally created, was a true image of God because he was, he was, he was God-centered, okay? Not self-centered. So to reflect back something against its design, what's the inevitable result? A shoe will work as a hammer for a little while. And then what happens to the shoe? Shoe gets busted up, right? You can use a chair as a ladder, right? You can, you can use a chair to reach high and change a light bulb. It might work a few times even, but keep doing it, what happens? You might fall or the chair's gonna break, right? One of the two, one of the two's gonna happen. You, you can use a wedding ring as a bottle opener if you wedge it under there just right. But guess what? You're gonna damage your ring. You may have picked up on this. These are things that I've actually done. And I can testify that these are things that yes, you can use them this way, but inevitably they have a, a negative result, okay? You can use a car to pull out a tree stump and I'm just gonna leave it at that. Again, if you use something contrary to its design and, and its purpose, you're gonna suffer a negative effect. Okay, so, so when we're told to glorify God, do you see what the implication here is? We're told to glorify God, to reflect his nature and character back to him. Not because, not because God is star, starved for attention, not because he's an egomaniac, not because he needs it, but because you are cast in his image and to reflect his nature and image back to him according to, your, according to his design will result in your flourishing. To reflect his nature and image back to him will not only result in your flourishing, but your enjoyment of it. You'll enjoy it, okay? I dare say there are not many of us that enjoy mopping floors. Am I right? No one, not many of us enjoy mopping. I'd be surprised if you said you did. Uh, I think one of the most frustrating things about mopping the floors is that you prepare a bucket of water and it has clean, it's clean water and you put cleaner in it, right? And you put your mop in the water and then you put your mop on the floor and you start mopping up the dust and the dirt and then you put that mop back into your clean water and it, and it contaminates the clean water. You don't have clean water anymore. Then you take that and you put it back on the floor. You're just spreading your filth all over the floor is what you're doing. That's what's most frustrating to me about, about mopping. So I recently bought this power mop. That's a real word, by the way, power mop. And what a great design it has. It's a mop and a vacuum. So it sprays clean water on the floor then the vacuum sucks up that water after the mop is passed over it, and the dirty water goes into a different reservoir than the clean water, right? What a great design. What is amazing. So the water you're putting on the floor is always clean. Isn't that great? What a great design. And let me tell you, the first time I used this, I went crazy with it. I did the whole, I was downstairs, I was mopping like a fool. And get this, I actually enjoyed using that mop. I enjoyed it. When you use something to its exact purpose and it works according to its design, there's actual enjoyment to be had, okay? And, and, this, and this is what the confession is telling us here. To glorify God is to enjoy him. And unlike my mop, there, there will never be an expiration to the enjoyment of, of, uh, of, of glorifying God, right? Eventually, I will get tired of using that mop. 
but according to God, what'd you say? <laughs> she says, oh, you only used it once, she says. <laughs> well, I needed it once. <laughs> we keep pretty clean floors. I'm sure I will eventually, yeah, get tired of using it. As my wife has pointed, I've only used it once. But as, as a creature of volition who understands good from evil, now I'm called to participate in this process that God has drawn me into. And, and here's a bonus question, okay? Because the Westminster Shorter Catechism calls us to sanctification too, right? What is sanctification? Is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after what? After the image of God and are enabled more and more to die into sin, or in other words, die into the desire to be man-centered or self-centered, right? And to live, under right, and live unto righteousness, or in other words, to live unto the image in which we're cast, okay? And notice the language that's used here, more and more, it says, more and more. So, so there's this process that we, we, we grow, and throughout the course of our lives, we continue to grow. We learn more and more to glorify God. And, and the natural byproduct of that the natural byproduct of that is what? Enjoyment. Enjoyment and flourishing because that is how you are designed. You're designed for this. You're designed to glorify God. And the only time which you fall out of enjoyment of that is when you break from that design and do something else. And that's when you suffer non-enjoyment or, or much, much, much worse. But if you want to really enjoy God, if you want to enjoy this life, glorify God. Why? Because it's exactly how you were made and crafted to do exactly that. Okay? I'm going to stop right there and see what questions you have. And again, I got to make sure I leave enough time for me to get back up to the sanctuary. But we still have time for comments or questions. What comments or questions might you have about uh, this that we've talked about today? What is your chief end? Anybody? And online, if you have uh, something you want to ask or share and let me know. I can uh, unmute you or read your chat. Anybody? Thoughts, comments, or questions? No? Are you all going to leave here today ready to glorify God and enjoy him forever? Are you going to do that? Come on, more enthusiasm. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I hope so. Well, let me close this in prayer. And again, if you have any thoughts uh, or additional comments, questions, I'm always happy to uh, go over those with you or, or ask uh, or talk through those things with you whether we're in a class setting or otherwise. My office is always open and I would love to uh, work through anything that you are struggling with as it relates to this or anything else, okay? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. Uh, thank you for your design. Thank you that you've designed us uh, to glorify you. Thank you that you've designed us to, to flourish when we glorify you. So Father, help us to have a, a keen awareness uh, an understanding of, of what that is and what that looks like. Help us day to day uh, to die into sin and live under righteousness more and more. Help us to not live man-centered lives, but God-centered lives. And Father, help us to enjoy that forever. We know we will because that's how you've designed us. We thank you for all these things in the name of Christ. Amen. There was one question that came through. I saw, what's the name of your mop? <laughs> I, I can't remember that. I think it's a Eureka power mop or something like that. But anyway, highly endorsed, not getting paid for this advertisement. <laughs> Y'all have a great week.